Hello there and welcome back to the Chat Shit Get Fit, the fitness news where we unpack the week's biggest news in health and fitness. I'm Bill and as always I'm joined by Tom. Hello there. This week we're going to take a closer look at ice bath hype, plant-based strength training. Uh, but before all of that though, so it's just two main topics to speak, but before that we have got, I'm going to say important quickfire bulletins because that's what I wrote down, but they have extended as the week's gone on, as we will explain. Things have been hotting up mm. in the it's world. It's almost like covering a war. Yeah, yeah, it's like fucking out, it's kicking off. But basically we're going to tackle two quickfire, I say that, you know, loosely, um, bulletins involving artificial sweeteners and gut training. Mm. So lots to get into. Let's get into this week's The Fitness News. Okay, guys, buckle the fuck in. It's about to kick right off. So let's get into that hot news, number one. I'm not going to say quick fuck. It's probably not going to be. So literally this week, there's been quite a bit of... It's been a lot of discussion. I want to say discussion. It's been it's been heated at times. Surrounding some new guidelines released by WHO. So that's the World Health Organization. You know, they're deemed a big authority in the world of health. So they released some new guidelines. And I'll quickly just read out a statement of what the guidelines basically were, of what they said basically. But So who suggests that non-sugar sweeteners, so artificial sweeteners basically, should not be used as a means of achieving weight control or reducing the risk of non-communicable diseases? And in brackets, conditional recommendation. So basically they are saying that you shouldn't have artificial sweeteners in, in a way. For certain in the things. context, in the context, which is yeah, yeah, this this is where people have been forgetting yeah. the context. Because if you look at if you when this came out, if you typed in artificial sweeteners on Google, you would have just got headline after headline around these new guidelines, and all of the guidelines basically, all the headlines, sorry, basically said, who says you should avoid artificial sweeteners? Who says to stop drinking? Blah blah blah. Who said, and it obviously has been taken out of context a little bit. And if we go on social media, Tom, we had a discussion because when we first saw this, we were gonna pull it right back where we were just going to mention it because obviously it's hot news but we weren't going to go into it too much because it was very fresh and basically lots of people have been coming out of their own you know five pence and it's kind of like we just wanted to see it all unfold to make more of a so we know which winning side we would be yeah, joining. Which, yeah whoever's winning we're going to join yes yeah, so, <laughs> yeah basically very game yeah. of thrones you know we, we was like the uh the Mussolini. Lannisters, you know <laughs> or Mussolini yeah, yeah, Mussolini. yeah. <laughs> fucking hell <laughs> Yeah, he dropped the ball on that one, didn't he? Yeah, fucking hell, yeah. <laughs> we're not going to drop the ball. We've not dropped the ball. So, uh, yeah. But the reason <laughs> it's even more important that we mention this is because if you do remember last week, when we spoke about gut health, we obviously mentioned artificial sweeteners, and we made some points, and we did mention a research paper that mentioned the benefits about weight control, saying how artificial sweeteners are very good for you know reducing the risk of these cardiometabolic diseases, reducing obesity and things like that. You've now got the anti-artificial sweetener crew who are basically getting hard-ons over it, and then you've got the pro-artificial sweetener crew, you know, as I call it, gathering pitchforks in defiant defence, right? <laughs> because, you know, it's, there's no, it's normally, it's quite a divisive thing, artificial sweeteners, I find. You get the people mm. who are essentially saying, look, they're absolutely fine, blah, 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 blah. And you get the people who are really against them and saying chemicals are going to kill you, blah, 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 blah. The thing is, like, um, as you just said, like, you've got two different crowds mm. basically attacking. It's weird because, like, you... you there are some people who are suddenly suddenly they they like the who because of these guidelines mm. because before like um these are the same kind of people who are like anti who 
Yeah, and I've got to stop myself from laughing because every time I say the who, I just keep on thinking the band. Yeah, yeah we're not talking about really bad guys. Yeah. Nothing against. I'm the being pretty band. childish here. So when we say they're an authority, we do mean the World Health Organization. Mm-hmm. We don't actually mean the who, as in the band. Mm-hmm. Well, I do like Roger Daltrey. Uh, top chat. But yeah, I just find it weird because suddenly I see people coming out and defending the who, who ironically a couple of years ago were the same people saying the who was this evil organisation, they want yeah. control, they're trying to mask you up. But suddenly because it goes in favour of, oh, well, actually they're against artificial sweeteners now. I love the who. It's really weird. What I found, Tom, was I was looking, obviously, as we said, we were watching it unfold on social media and I was looking at a lot of... Um, certain you know authorities in the health and fitness space and i was looking at the different posts they're putting out and if you read the comments on the different posts you can tell the different crowds straight away yes because yeah you've got the you've got the people posting saying that the who's missed you know absolute dropped the ball. authority yeah. they, well you've got the people who said they've dropped the ball on this guideline and then the comments are all basically saying oh the who fucking up again classic who they're always fucking wrong and then you've got the other side where people are saying well, maybe maybe you've, you've taken these recommendations out of context and then people are like look you know, it's just more who bashing the who's actually you no. Know, they're a good authority, blah, blah, blah. So you've got, the, you've got the two sides and their own little comment sections. So basically, it's like two societies going at each other. In all honestly, like, I, I have to agree that I do think a lot of the evidence-based crowd, so to speak, hmm. you know, some of the very big names out there have pretty much had like a knee-jerk reaction and have yeah. reacted to the tabloid headlines hmm. and have um, pretty much shot the who down over this. But basically, reading the guidelines. they've... <laughs> without actually reading the guidelines and seeing what the context is they're talking yeah. about. Now, we could have been dicks here at the beginning and we were halfway was going to be, weren't we, by saying, yeah. oh, you know, the who said artificial sweeteners are bad. Mm. And then we could have just left out, oh, but in the context of using it solely for weight loss, which is pretty much what the who was trying and to they, do here. And just to make it clear, they're not, they're not saying they're bad. They're not saying they're bad yeah. at all. They're just saying not effective. It shouldn't be the primary. It yeah, shouldn't the pri- be the primary, mm. um, yeah. you know, control for weight. Mm. Con- uh, sorry, the primary mm. thing to be focused on for weight control. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I would fully agree that their uses and we shouldn't be taking them for, mm. in in aid of weight loss. I think mm. they can be helped. It's in the context of other things in regards to things like. Uh, understanding your nutrition, you know, calories, et cetera, in regards to getting your better movement, trying to get a better social support group. It's it's complicated. I should just say it's, it's a, complicated. It's, and what's the context? I mean, if, if I, if I will we'll go, we'll get you touch on the context of how they come to this, but essentially one thing I want to mention first is I mentioned the the terminology conditional recommendation, okay? So that's yeah. something important to note, that these guidelines are conditional. And I'll read out what the WHO actually states is when they say sounds conditional, they mean this. So... Conditional recommendations are those recommendations for which the WHO guideline development group is less certain that the desirable consequences of implementing the recommendation outweigh the undesirable consequences or when the anticipated net benefits are very small. Therefore, substantive discussion among policymakers may be required before a conditional recommendation can be adopted as policy. I do think it's odd, though, that if it is a conditional recommendation in the first mm. place, why even bother to release the guidelines? Well, I think, why, why release guidelines if you're not even sure? I you're think still? they do this. They probably do this often, but because it's not artificial sweeteners, it's it's grain traction. Yeah, it's grain more traction. Like this is this is probably the normal thing where you know, like a study comes out, like a little pilot yeah. study, or you know, like little small things come out. Basically, people just normally ignore it and go, "Oh, this is just a little thing we're putting through to." So I reckon they've put this through as like a thing of say, "We're working on it. We're having a look into it." But obviously, someone's seen it. And obviously, artificial sweeteners are always going to be a very feisty topic because of the nature of it. And yeah, obviously, because it's the who as well, which is also a very feisty topic, just them as an organisation. It's 
gone into the press and it's all it was came all over the news outlets um, and as we said it was a big battle on social media um, but basically the whole argument though is around the use of research okay so obviously they've looked at all the evidence but the argument surrounds the use of randomized controlled trials and observational studies okay so people have basically said so the first argument of the people who are saying that who fucked up was that they've made their recommendation based on observational studies when the randomized controlled trials out there are saying that there is a benefit to having artificial sweeteners. So yeah. they're, and they're trying to say that randomized controlled trials are superior. So why have they not used the results of those and used the ones of observational studies, which they are saying is inferior? So basically people are saying they've cherry-picked the evidence to suit their recommendation. That's what they've said. However, if you actually read the guidelines, the who's not dismissed the randomized controlled trials? They've actually acknowledged that artificial sweeteners can reduce calorie intake yeah. and body weight in the short term because if you look at the randomized control trials they're all three months and below i think pretty sure it's three months and below but because there's no long term long term yeah so they've they've acknowledged that in the in the actual guidelines if you read them they say okay in the short term we can see that it's reduced you know xyz but then when you look at the longer term stuff so the observational studies the link obviously decreased yeah so they're basically trying to say look if you were to have it over the long term it won't necessarily reduce your body weight. Mm. But then there was also the stuff that added on to it, which I think is what caused a little bit of issue was the fact that they were trying to say that there was a, a link between... Uh, cardiovascular? Non- yeah, cardiovascular disease. So basically yeah. they were trying to say that the use of long-term, because of the observational studies, which is, we obviously we won't go into it too much, but there's there's a lot of reasons why that would come up because it's it's not controlled, is it? Of course, it's fucking just observing people. There'd be many, many factors why they've got health risks. But basically, they were saying there could be a link between non-nutritive sweeteners, sweeteners, <laughs> I should say, mouthful. Oh, I'm just going to say artificial sweeteners. They yeah. said there's a link between artificial sweeteners and these long-term health risks, such as type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, et cetera. However, if you actually look at the evidence, I don't think there's a causal link no. between the two. There isn't one between the two. Um, but what they're... What they're trying to say, so basically the crux of the guidelines is what people are, I think are missing as well, is that they're using artificial sweeteners isn't necessarily going to lead to weight gain when it's not going to reduce your risk. It's not necessarily going to reduce your risk. So basically inherently what I'm saying is artificial sweeteners have not got an inherent power to reduce your weight, nor yeah. will they inherently reduce the risk of these long-term health risks, which is basically what the, guide, the guidelines are basically saying you shouldn't consume these things hoping that it will inherently reduce your body weight and your yeah. risk of type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, et cetera, et cetera. Think about shooting a gun. Like, just by shooting a gun, you're not necessarily going to hit your target. Mm-hmm. You know, you still have to aim. Exactly that. What I would say, personally, is if you're trying to reduce weight, there could be an aid because they will, if you're drink, if you're already drinking full-fat Coke, for example, so packed full of sugar and calories, et cetera, and you yeah. switch to Diet Coke, you have naturally, you've actually reduced your calorie intake which will in turn help you lose weight in theory. If you know you're a latte addict and you're constantly getting syrups, etc., or your coffees as well, so not just uh, like soda drinks. Like yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, loads of stuff has artificial sweeteners. Coffees and bloody fucking even cocktails. You can now get calorie-free uh, cocktail syrups. So they could be, they can be an aid if you know that a big bulk of your calories do come from your beverages. But it's always things where just by taking it, that is going to be an aid in weight loss. It's not that. It's not simply the case. But I mm. do think that um, yeah, there's been like a a lot of reactionary outrage over this, mm-hmm. like knee jerk reactions. But to be honest with you, as much as I want to say that oh, 
a lot of experts are generally outraged over this. My gut feeling is that in hindsight, I think they've actually this as an opportunity of, oh my God, this is great. This is this is great for my, my, my content creation here, you know. And to be fair, yes. we're guilty of it. We're fucking doing it now. It's just that we're not getting that we're not getting that knee-jerk reaction of, oh my God, look what the who's up to. First it was the masks, now it's the artificial sweeteners. Oh. Firstly, we both made sure we actually read the fucking guidelines. I think we both messaged <laughs> saying, look, because when they were saying about the RCT thing, I think we both were saying off air, we're like, well, if you actually read the guidelines fully, they, they acknowledge yeah, that they they do they do what they say. Like if you actually look at the graphs, they're just, they're not saying it doesn't do anything. You see, a part of me wants to say like, oh, perhaps maybe they could have communicated this better in the guidelines in regards to basically just trying to separate mm. the idea that the guidelines are in regards to just actual health, yeah, you know, yeah. as, mm. and not and not just in regards to things like uh, well, not just but like the biggest part of it was like in regards to weight control. But then I've got to think to myself, well, when we actually look into it, we do see that they are saying in the context of, you know, they are saying it's a conditional recommendation. It is literally typed in the fucking guidelines itself, conditional recommendations. Is it really like the the, the who's fault? Or is it just human nature that, you know, humans like to take things completely out of context? I mean, as you, as you said, it's not, we can't. We're not saying who's amazing, you know. It's not. It's not unusual for these yeah. big authorities to make mistakes or to not communicate clearly. Um, you know, they're not immune to criticism. That's yeah. for sure. You know, they're not immune to that. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, if I if I was doing a uh, guidelines like this, I would make it very apparent that this has a very specific context. I would actually put that in the guidelines. Someone just put, you know, the the guidelines in regards to. I mean, what is the actual title of the guidelines? Bear with me. The World Health Organization, in regards to their articles, even their article titles say advises not to use non-sugar sweeteners for weight control in newly released guidelines. So they are putting the actual context in the title there. Ah, uh, here we go. So the actual publication, this is where I've got an issue. An issue is the actual, the actual title of the guideline is use of non-sugar sweeteners. Who guideline? when perhaps it should have been just for the sake of taking any fucking question out of this of what the actual guidelines are for, maybe they could have put use of non-sugar sweeteners in the context of weight control. Yeah. It's literally it's hard, it's hard even the then title. because once again, the hard thing is, is that even that title, it's very difficult because that even within that you want more context because within terms of weight control, if someone drinks 10 full fat Cokes a day, technically yeah. it could actually help them with weight control if they switch to Diet Coke. Do you know what I mean? I mean, that's probably me just being really obsessive and nitpicky, but the thing is yeah. I have such low I have such low confidence in how we as humans tend to translate things without letting our biases take over. I just think things literally need to be spelled out for people. Yeah. I mean, in, as a general recommendation, though, before we move on, is like, obviously we'd rather, you, you'd better off probably drink, trying to drink more water than just drinking loads of Diet Cokes because of things like, I don't know, caffeine as well. If you're having lots of Diet Coke, you can have things like caffeine in your system as well. You, you're better off probably just not, pumping yourself too much it's mainly because of everything you'd want to have stuff in moderation don't you yeah you know what i mean like we're not saying oh you can just go out and smash you know a 24 pack of diet coke a day um but if you're worried about having it or even your protein powder because protein powder uses artificial sweeteners mm. so like i mean i was trying to expose myself to more to an environment where i'm having less kind of like sugary treats take that back technically not sugary mm. but that taste of sweetness Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad, but it's one of those things where, yeah, like I would, even if I was having like loads of artificial uh, diet sodas, which um, you know yeah. I, I do enjoy, yeah, yeah. but I'd perhaps try and take on more kind of water, etc. 
I mean, we'll keep you um, updated if anything else comes out on this, guys. But essentially, for now, if you see more posts and articles come out, just obviously yeah. proceed with caution because there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions out there. Yeah. And also for yourself, if you want to, have re- I'll leave the guidelines in the, in the show notes. Have a read for yourself. Um, you can kind of see what they. If you want to have a look and see what they actually make, make your own mind up because they are very in depth. They've gone. They, they've not. It's not like a very. They've not just put like a page out. It's a fucking full-on booklet, basically. Yeah, um, going through literally every reason why they've made certain decisions, all the evidence. You know, it's not it's not off a whim. And just to quickly go into as well, you mentioned how the, the who probably do have other guidelines. They do. They have. So I already spoke about the physical guidelines, mm. but I found like a glossary here, and yeah, there's they have loads, mm. absolutely loads. Things on testing, things on cervical screening. Some of them have really long titles. Mm. Some of them have really long titles, which makes me think actually, I think it is quite reasonable to say change your title to. Use of non-sugar sweeteners in the context of, of weight control. I mean, there's one here that says antiretroviral drugs for treating pregnant women and preventing HIV infection in infants. Recommendations for public health approach 2010 version. So therefore, I think my recommendation for changing the, the, <laughs> the, the artificial sweeteners uh, guidelines to- uh, title is completely uh, reasonable. Yeah, it's valid. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's some which are just really, really, really simple, like... Anthrax in humans and animals. Fourth edition. <laughs> Fourth edition, wow. It took yeah. four editions to realise that we should not be consuming it. Oh, there's a guideline for sugars intake for adults and children. What was there? Ooh. Ooh. Another time. Another time. Another time, another episode. Right. <laughs> um, we'll move on to the second piece of hot news. Um, this one will be a lot quicker, though. Um, and this is around gut training because, obviously, last week we spoke about gut health, and this follows on quite nicely. And it's about a new study, um, and no, it's not about smashing um, certain foods before a race, as you're going to find out what I mean by that. Ah, but you might be able to adapt to that. But you might be able to adapt. Oh, yeah, you might be able to adapt to there that. There you go. Yes. I've spoiled it onto the next subject. For sake, Tom. Fucking nightmare. <laughs> but no, basically, the title of this study is The Effect of Gut Training and Feeding Challenge on Markers of Gastrointestinal Status in Response to Endurance Exercise, a Systematic Literature Review. Basically, as Tom's already spoiled, it links back to something I said last week about the body slash gut adapting. If you remember, we spoke about artificial sweeteners and then the new study that came out and they were saying that it fucks your gut up essentially, but the people they used it on were not consumers of artificial sweeteners at all. They had to work hard to find these individuals. They found some people who weren't actually consuming any and impacts them a bit because they weren't used to it. That was my that was my theory anyway. This paper kind of follows on for that. So I'll read out some sort of key takeaways really for this. So I'll read out this little extract here. I think it's quite important. So repetitive exposure to nutrition before and during exercise can help train the gastrointestinal tract and subsequently improve gastrointestinal function, feed intolerance, and reduce incidence and severity of exercise-associated gastrointestinal symptoms, leading to potential exercise perform benefits. Basically, it, what they're trying to say is that if you've, if you've ever been for a bout of exercise, let's say you've eaten something unusual, or maybe, you, I don't know, you've smashed a fucking a, a yogurt. As I spaghetti example. bolognese. Yeah, a spaghetti bolognese, but you've never used to it. And then when you go for a run, suddenly your gut feels thingy, you need a shit about two minutes in. Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Out of your mouth. <laughs> yeah, out of your mouth. Yeah. You need to take a we've shit all, out of your mouth. <laughs> we've all been there, haven't we? We've, had, we've, had, we've all been there with gut discomfort on a bout of exercise, okay? So what they're basically trying to say is that repetitive exposure to this nutrition before enduring we can actually train the, the, the gastrointestinal tract, as they call it, so the gut, yeah. to deal with this this food and in turn reduce 
reduce the severity of the symptoms that come with it. Okay, so basically it appears that gut training, as they call it, or feeding challenges in the title, around your exercise routine, so before you go to the gym, during, whatever, um, can help with discomfort. Mm. And something they also mentioned, which I think is um, important to note, is carbohydrate malabsorption. Carbohydrate malabsorption. So that occurs when main dietary carbohydrates, sugars and starches are not absorbed from the gastrointestinal tract. Right. And there's a few clinical symptoms of this. So basically they include flatulence, abdominal cramp, abdominal cramps and pain, diarrhea, and sometimes even a headache. Um, so kind of basically things, it's just a fancy, more clinical way of saying you've got, you know, gas during a fucking run or something. Yeah. Or you, know, you need to shit yourself, you know, basically that. Um, and that's because if it makes sense in, in regards to when you do run it, we'll use running as the example because this, this is the most common thing. And obviously it was to do with, I mean, the actual paper was on endurance exercise. Yeah. Um, people normally consume carbs, don't they? Before or during. Before a race, they might be have a banana or in the morning they might have some porridge or during the race, they might have a carbohydrate gel um, or even a banana mid-race, fuck knows, or even like a bar, like a little energy yeah. bar. But Having your oats, your porridge. Yeah. But if you've got, if you're reducing carbohydrate malabsorption, um, you could experience those symptoms I mentioned, which are not going to be nice, are they? If you're in the middle of a marathon and you suddenly get gas and you need to fart loads and you've yeah. got cramps and pain, or I mean, hopefully not diarrhea, that would be pretty emotional. <laughs> Liquid shitting <laughs> halfway around the fucking London marathon. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um, I would like to say there's worse things, but I don't, I can't really think of any more yeah, worse things. Pretty than awful. That. Um, if I was doing London marathon and shoot myself halfway through, yeah. I'd be going head first into the Thames absolutely um, <laughs> just to wash but, it off <laughs> just some sort of actionable takeaways on this on this paper I think even I'm pretty sure you know when Rini McGregor came on dietitian Rini McGregor when we had her yes um, I think she mentioned this because she's a huge runner like massive endurance athlete really successful as well about it's not good to suddenly change your nutrition protocol around a race some people they might train for six months go to the race and suddenly start smashing energy gels or suddenly have yeah. a banana before a race and not adapted to it yeah they've not adapted to it they're or your not used gut's to not it. adapted to it yeah your gut's not adapted to it so basically what they're saying here is that if you repetitively expose yourself to this nutrition during before your exercise whatever up to an event your body's going to be able to deal with it better don't change your nutritional protocol suddenly you know because of an event adapt to that allow your body to yeah. adapt to it so that when it comes to the event you're good to go you won't have these symptoms that i've mentioned i mean it's funny because we we preach all the time about how adaptable the body is mm. but usually we talk about in regards to you know injury recovering from injury you know growing muscle you know yeah growing bone you know strengthening your bones we talk about ligaments etc so usually we talk about in that kind of sense like uh skeletal tissue but i mean it's interesting that obviously like there's other things that adapt within you as well, such as the gut. Um, at first, like, this was... So I looked at it and I was like, I can't really think of, like, anything really interesting to say about this. But actually, <laughs> in hindsight, kind of going off what you said there, like, I think for most of the population, most of the general population, it isn't going to really matter. It's just no. about kind of eating at a time where you feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. me, I know that... Um, Fair enough, like, I can't handle solid foods at least a couple of hours before a gym session. Yeah, yeah that's a good you know, point, yeah. Some mm. people say they can eat an hour before and they feel mm. a great after me. I can't. If I go to gym an hour after eating, I feel absolutely awful. I can, mm -hmm. I can consume liquid calories, though, in the form of, like, just pure sugar. So if I have, like, an energy drink or something, I can handle that, which I find weird because some people know it's the opposite. But, but... And it feels like a lot of this podcast is going to be us basically saying, oh, however, in the context of, just like we did with the, art of, um, you know, the artificial sweeteners yeah. debate. However, 
in the context of athletes, mm. you know, whether it be runners or strength athletes, etc., it might be worth spending some time, you know, trying to adapt your gut so that you can consume food, therefore energy around your training, closer towards your training, maybe. I mean, you don't have to, but it's one of those things where if you know you do perform better when you're, you know, consuming food, I'm not saying pretty much repeating what you said but not saying you know smash a banana as soon as you start getting into events etc you might need to kind of do it well before almost like you're periodizing it maybe yeah and even then one thing to note is if you if you do feel a bit of discomfort when you first have something during exercise don't automatically dismiss it as oh your body doesn't like it it might be just because it's a new thing hmm. like any new stimulus you're gonna have your body's gonna have a reaction it might take a bit, unless you're obviously like intolerant might have to or something. Might microdose it. Yeah, microdose. Like a form of uh, training. <laughs> so I get your micro scale. Start weighing a out banana. Of a banana. <laughs> Twenty-two grams of banana. Yeah. <laughs> a single 24. slice. Yeah, add a gram a week. <laughs> uh, progressive overload. Yeah, progressive overload bananas. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, mad. I'm up to five bananas now. <laughs> God fuck that. <laughs> but even like, um, even even regards to say things like powerlifters, etc. I know those guys fucking love eating before they train in general but like um same kind of thing like you can no matter what kind of sport you do i suppose if you know you would perform better on food then perhaps there is a way that you can train yourself to adapt to eating mm. more closer towards your events when i say mm. closer i mean like uh within a couple of hours or within an hour just before you actually do the event or even during but, depending on the length of the event but yeah but in regards to actually taking time to adapt then you probably want to do it a long time before don't just say right I'm going to give myself two weeks to adapt to eating yeah. Okay, guys, we'll move on to the next bit of news. I mean, these, these next two are supposed to be the big bulk of the episode, but of, as you found out, the first two have kind of turned from quickfire bulletins into extra. So this might yeah, be a long episode. Sorry. Hopefully, hopefully, you, hopefully you, you like the length of the episode. Hopefully, it's, uh, I'll keep you I, I have mind. a feeling I'm going to be very short and sharp on this next one, so don't worry. <laughs> I don't know, I've got a lot of stuff written down. I'm the turning the long one into a very short one. Yeah, well, I'm gonna, I'll stretch it out, don't worry. Go on, you stretch it out. Next topic is ice bath hype. Now, we've we've spoke about this a while ago in the recovery series, which was, I don't know how long ago it was now, it was last year at some point, but we spoke about ice baths then, right? But since then, there's been a massive rise of what I would call die-hard fanatics who absolutely swear by ice baths. Because when we spoke about this before, Tom, it wasn't this big. It wasn't as massive. There was like a couple it's of articles. Worse, like, don't it? it was like, like Mo Farrow. There's like a picture of Mo Farrow, and that was about it. <laughs> that was the extent of God, the, yeah, people kicking off, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that was like the extent of people like going off about it. But now, yeah. fuck me, you've got all sorts of people there. There's people who say every morning you should have a 23.2 second ice bath in direct sunlight while having a cafeteria of fucking coffee in you. You know what I mean? It's like, I think it's, this um, is a result of fitness influencers and evidence-based influencers. Yeah. Disclaimer: We're not going to we're not going to slam ice baths. By the way, there are there is context, obviously, that we're going to talk about. Oh, so. sorry, yes, in the context, yeah, of- in the context, yeah, yeah. So basically, this is going to lead us onto a new study now, right? Um, and it's quite quite interesting. It's about soldiers, okay. And this title of this study is "Impact of Cold Exposure on Life Satisfaction," which is quite important in the what people use it for now for help, like you know, mental well being and stuff, and physical composition of soldiers. I'm just going to read out the conclusion and then we'll get into it, right? I'm not going to fuck about here. So cold water exposure can be recommended as an addition to routine military training regimens. Regular exposure positively impacts mental status and physical composition, which may contribute to higher physiological resilience. 
read that again. Regular exposure positively impacts mental status and physical composition, which may contribute to higher physiological resilience. Sorry, psychological resilience, I should say. My bad, misread that. Psychological resilience. Additionally, cold exposure as a part of military training is most likely to reduce anxiety among soldiers. So there's some big claims been in that conclusion. And the reason we're mentioning this is that ice bath, well, not even just ice bath fanatics, but basically any fanatic in the health and fitness industry, there's a lot of very influential people out there, I find, that are just absolutely hanging out for confirmatory um, or confirmation evidence. So it's easy to say. Confirmation evidence, right? basically yeah. leading to confirmation bias people who are very die hard on a certain topic they will look for evidence to support their bias right rather than actually googling for evidence it's more like mm -hmm. they're googling how can i be right yeah how can i be right but the thing is though tom it's not it's not always conscious so what i find about confirmation bias is that generally i don't think it's conscious choice so when someone is so convinced about something let's say you're like really optimistic about something people will then subconsciously analyze data they've, they've read in a biased manner so they will look through data, even if the data is kind of almost middle ground or even slightly against their viewpoint, because they're subconsciously analysing it to find their bias. Mate, we've literally seen it this week in regards to so the WHO guidelines. The who. Yeah, literally. People have they've read it to fit that they've ignored what Fucking the WHO was hell. saying. Lane Norton nearly had a fit. So it's not supposed to mention names. <laughs> yeah, but you're right though. Like if we go back to the whole randomised control trial thing, people ignore the fact that they acknowledged them in the paper and the guidelines, sorry, and they just said they fucked them off. They subconsciously went saying, no, they just fucked him off. They ignored him. They were, they dropped the ball. They were saying that it doesn't matter, blah, blah, blah. But that's what I'm talking about, basically. Um, and when they find evidence that supports their viewpoint, you know, it's normally accepted. They have very little scrutiny, so they won't really look at the limitations of the evidence that supports their bias. Um, and then if they do find any contradictory evidence, they normally shoot it down. Very sceptical about it. But I want to stress again, we're not saying these people do it in bad faith. I mean, if we're honest, Tom, we might have done it in the past. We probably have, to be fair. We've probably subconsciously gone through some data and oh, got God, excited yeah. about something, you know. I can't think of an example. In but my early days, bloody hell, yeah. It's um, it's it's, it's going to happen, isn't it? But the, the whole idea is that we, you know, you learn from your mistakes and as long as you accept them. You're supposed them, to. You're supposed you know, some people don't do they? I, I, Joe, you know what? I think, see, what I hate about this whole, like, evidence-based influencer thing is like you can't really call yourself evidence-based if you have such heavy emotions attached to these subjects attached. yeah yeah that's true and i find that the more you become emotionally detached god i sound really like fucking pessimistic now um you know or nearly quite gone on the jedi quite gone on the jedi council <laughs> i know but honest to god like um the more you become emotionally detached, the more objective you can actually be. Yeah, and then you can fair. actually read between the lines or more in the case of the WHO guidelines, you can actually fucking read what's being said instead of just latching onto one thing that's, you know, that confirmation bias. Well, it's like, it's like what people have, I don't know, if, they have their, if their Instagram is called the evidence-based carnival, the evidence-based vegan, the evidence-based keto magi magician. It's like they've automatically stated their bias. So it's almost yeah. like, well, they're sending their evidence-based, but are they going to be evidence-based towards... Anything negative towards their carnival, vegan, keto, like it's, it's very exactly. <laughs> it's like you've already chosen your personality. Yeah, you know, I'm waiting for an ice bath king. Ice an ice bath, bath king. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, um, ice bath <laughs> Viking or something really <laughs> fucking shit. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> if we um, if we move back to this paper at hand, then another reason we bring it up is because this is this is a classic example of something that's been shared as kind of like rock solid evidence that ice baths are incredible. They're great for you know reducing anxiety. Soldiers are obviously 
a, a population that people get excited about. So to help soldiers, wow. Imagine what it could do to a normal gen pop person. Um, however, if we look at, if we go on closer inspection of this paper, so taking away the bias, detaching emotion from it and looking at the paper, there's some pretty interesting things. Now, firstly, there's a, there's, was a few actually, but we'll go through the first one. There's a major limitation of the study, and that is that the statistical testing was not suitable for the research question and the study design. Okay, so the whole, the entire purpose of doing a randomized trial with a control group is to compare the intervention group to the control group, right? That is the whole premise of one. Okay, you want to compare the intervention group to the control group. In this study, guess what, Tom? <laughs> didn't happen mate <laughs> did not happen right so that is a major limitation of study basically the the testing wasn't suitable for the for the design the researchers basically simply they basically analyzed the changes within the intervention group and then separately so separately analyzed the changes in the control group so there was no comparison they just individually looked at them right so <laughs> tom's remember it i said that i was going to simplify yeah 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 i'm going i, I don't think i can hold it back any longer i'm going to try i'm going to try and hold it back hold, hold on, on hold on hold on go on i'll hold on so, so basically that little point there is that the paper failed to assess the ways in which the two groups are going to be different right they looked at the individual groups great found out what about them but they didn't compare them right and this is the this is the best one there was something very odd which me and tom had a good laugh about and i, I i'm I baffled why they did this they did an entire lecture <laughs> telling the intervention groups the people in the ice fucking bath they, they did an entire lecture telling them why this was going to work they did nothing in the control group but for the intervention group they told them why the ice bath was going to work i mean if that's not like that's some mad level fucking psychological warfare like were they sponsored by a big ice bath <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, in what world does that make any sense to tell someone like it's gonna i'm really trying not to to give my summary too soon here but. yeah it's hard not to isn't it right and i've got more this is oh, tom's gonna explain see if i can get through these red flags before we up. so basically i've got some more red flags here which is probably gonna kick tom off let me just make a sound uh, important to know actually is that these red flags i'm not having a dig at the researchers directly i'm not trying to say they're trying to mislead people or they're trying to fuck up intentionally this is just some red flags that were identified which is not i mean research is obviously not easy to carry out is it so i'll rattle through these i've got i've obviously got them all um, noted down here so first one is personal identifiable information for participants was uploaded and publicly available. This is not going to impact the accuracies. This doesn't actually, this doesn't really fuck the results. However, it's not best practice for research, you could say. So that kind of makes you think, well, if they're fucking up with that sort of practice, what else are they fucking up with? You know, if they can't even get that basic thing right, what else are they basically dropping the ball on? Um, so obviously then that naturally led you to, or led us to read other red flags um another one lack of clarity about how many study conditions actually existed a lack of clarity about how participants were filtered out of the study um, there was duplicate participants who appeared to be in both study groups or they were duplicated in the same group so you've got people who are you know they were they cloned themselves <laughs> you know, there's more than one of them in the same group um, there was also lack of clarity about whether or not the researchers were participants in their own study so they didn't make that clear if they decided to jump in themselves. Um, and data formatting inconsistencies that would, I mean, this is theoretical though, would trip up statistical software. So if you were to bang it through some uh, stats software, it would probably fuck it up because it's inconsistent, right? Basically, <clears throat> excuse me, it's hard to put a lot of faith in these findings. <laughs> Even, I mean, the findings to begin with weren't very strong anyway. But after going through all of the limitations and all these red flags, it's very hard for me to go, yeah, this is rock solid evidence for ice baths, being honest. <laughs> what do you think of the paper, I mean, Tom? <laughs> first of all, 
I think it's important that I say, you know, I, I have had an ice bath before mm. uh, when, when I was a soldier. Yeah. Uh, I, I had an ice bath in... Um, was that intentional or was it, were you, were you thrown I, on? Well, I had it in Vimy Barracks and that's because we had no hot water. Um, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, straight away, it's not like I could sell well, I've not even tried it. Uh, yeah, look, my conclusion is this fucking paper is just awful. Yeah. And I really, I really struggled to look into it because every time I looked at it, it's getting worse, isn't it? It just got worse and worse, pissed me off to the point where it's like, no matter what they conclude here, I, I'm i not going to take any of it into consideration because it's just fucking, there's so many red flags. The yeah. major one, the major one, I mean, apart from, I want to say the major one, but there's a couple of major red flags <laughs> out of a lot of red flags. Yeah, yeah. Major ones for me is one, the cloning. So having fucking, you know, du- duplicates on there. So basically, you count the same person twice. Which, when bearing in mind, this is already a small sample size as well. Yeah, yeah. forty nine. Uh, was it forty nine? You know, what's the sample size? They're pretty small. So yeah, it's just, yeah, forty nine. Uh, but yeah, bearing in mind, like it's a, a small sample size. Like if you have a duplicate on there, it's going to make a big difference in the mm-hmm. results. But the major one, the major one, which is completely unforgivable is that they actually told them what to expect, pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and when we talk about, like, the psychological impact of oh, placebo, placebo effect oh, fuck and me, how yeah. powerful the placebo effect can actually take place, it's fucking ridiculous. Why would you do that? Mm. Why would you do that? When we talk about blind, um, it, it, when we're going blind, like, with things like creating supplements or training regimes we don't necessarily tell them what we're expecting to happen what we're trying to find you know you as the researcher might have an idea of what might happen with your hypothesis but you don't fucking tell your subjects do you know what I mean you don't tell your subjects hmm. um so that's just like completely unforgivable in my yeah. opinion even then with the results they actually found it's really just fucking it's not it's not tiny much, anyway yeah yeah I mean, what? Oh, six point two percent found an increase, a significant increase. Sorry, of six point two percent in self-perceived sexual satisfaction. <laughs> what a weird thing, you know? Yeah, I mean, cool. Yeah. I suppose. Yeah, great. Yeah, great. I mean, maybe they're them enjoying a wank in a cold bath. <laughs> I don't know. A wank in a cold bath. You know, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Could you even get hard on an ice bath? Like, could you imagine uh, trying to get me hard? personally? <laughs> probably not. I haven't really Shut tried into a, into a little raisin. <laughs> and then, oh yeah, uh, in regards to when we talk about in, in physical mes- measurements, oh, what, uh, there was a one point three percent waist reduction. You know, that's your ridiculous. circumference. Fucking, yeah, that's and it's like I don't think they realise like how much things can change in the space of eight weeks. Anyway, yeah, eight weeks. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is just like fucking pointless and it's, it's far away it just needs to be screwed up and thrown in the bin but, in my but this opinion. is the thing though people will the diehard fanatics will latch onto things like this because they'll read the, they'll read the, the conclusion and they'll be like great yeah. it's another it's another fucking support for ice baths um, but we've had this in the context of soldiers in regards to well they they, they say like their uh, life satisfaction and when we say life satisfaction we mean sexual satisfaction for some reason you know and uh, then in a physical sense, we're talking about like their waste reduction as well. Mm. Bearing in mind all the red flags we pointed out in this study and all the limitations, in the context of what they were doing here, I'm not even going to take any notice of it. But just because we do know some diehard ice bath fanatics, ice baths in some contexts can still be useful. We've spoken about it before in regards to things like recovery, particularly mm-hmm. in regards acute, to... Acute, re- acute so, recovery. Yes, 
sorry, yeah. when we say recovery, in the context of recovery, yeah. and when I say recovery, I mean in the context of acute recovery. Acute, yeah, very specific. See, it's like uh, Inception now. Mm. We're talking about so many contexts, it's going to one or the other. If, mm. you, if you need rapid recovery, recovery yeah. which to be fair, some soldiers might need. In the context of military, you know, if you're in a competition, or let's just say, like, you're getting absolutely, for whatever reason, you're getting fucking thrashed. Mm. I mean, look, I was only a reservist, okay? But what that meant is that in however many, if you're there, like, two weeks or three weeks or whatever it is, doing training, and they're trying to ram as much fucking fizz into that as possible, it's like you've got no time for recovery. So, okay, an ice bath might be good where you need to be recovered rapid. You don't care about hypertrophy because we've seen that mm. ice baths might affect muscle growth. But in this context, we don't really give a shit about muscle growth. You just want to be able to get up and at them on exercise in a couple of yeah. days, you know. Yeah. But, you know, it can be good in that context or, you know, even a general The example we gave was – we the example we gave last time was a CrossFit competition. Yeah, CrossFit because competition. Because it's four or five-day competition where you've got to recover quickly day after day for the next day. So getting into an ice bath is actually a good way to recover for, for the next day. Yeah. So in situations where you've got multi-day events, it makes complete sense to have an ice bath. I mean, there is the data to show that there is, there is application for that in the recovery setting. So it, it's, let's make it clear. So we're not saying they're useless, by the way. We don't we don't have an emotional bias towards them. If you enjoy ice baths, great. I mean, yeah. And if you feel on. that they help you mentally, mm. go for well, it. I, I get it, Tom. I, I get it from a from a resilience based point of view. I totally get it. It's a very hot. It's not a nice thing to get into an ice bath. Fucking hell, who wants to sit in a freezing ice I bath? I suppose you could say to simplify it is that if you see ice water and you're just like an I want to say a normal person that doesn't really do the whole ice bath thing and someone says I'll oh, get in it and you're kind of looking at it going well, no and you're umming and ahhing yeah. but I suppose you can condition yourself to be able to react to that fight or flight yeah yeah get yourself in rapidly. there and accept accept the discomfort that comes alongside just with it just accept it like I know it's going to be tough but mm. fuck it I'm just going to get in bosh off you yeah, go yeah. Mm-hmm. cool you know that you know you want to jump out straight away it's so cold but you can mm. mentally train yourself I suppose to say no no chill out i'm in control could give you that confidence that it is it is a subjective experience though because i want to make this if we look at this from an evidence-based point of view as we like to do that's just my guess yeah if we look at further psychological outcomes cognitive outcomes overall health basically the evidence isn't really super duper if i want to put it in that term so what we're saying is you might find these things help you with your resilience etc but it's subjective another example i could think of is like you see these uh these spartan races Sometimes they do something where you can do all, you can do something called a trifecta, and they usually take yeah, place over all, a weekend. Yeah, you do. So you free, do all it? three runs over a weekend. So you might say, okay, I've done a run on the Saturday. Yeah. Or the Friday, or whatever it is. You, you get home, you're absolutely fucked. Have a nice bath. Okay. Nice bath, yeah. Then mm. get the next day and off you go again. I think that's absolutely fine. Once again, it might not definitely work, but it might. Who knows? If I was quickly go back to the evidence as well, I've mentioned about the psychological, cognitive, and overall health outcomes. A lot of people don't not people normally just say, "Oh, the research says." The research shows they don't really normally tell you what the research actually is. They just say the word "research" and for the best. A lot of the data suggests, yeah. So a lot of the data which t- points towards the psychological, cognitive benefits, etc., is actually on cold water swimming. And hmm. what this is normally down to is if you look at exercise, you get positive effects of exercise. There's socialization evolved with these studies in the cold swimming you know in the the cold swimming environment and there's time spent in nature 
That might sound a bit like, you know, fancy blah, blah, blah. But all three of those put together actually is what leads to... And your body's actually going through motion. Yes. So all of that is what normally leads to those psychological, cognitive and overall health outcomes, as opposed to being in cold water. Sat, motionless. Yeah. Yeah. That obviously, we're not saying it does nothing, but in in isolation, and this is what I'm saying, you have to actually look at the data. Um, Yeah. If we move move away from all that for a second, Tom, because we've not mentioned the big elephant in the room of this, is that there is compelling evidence that consistent use of life baths can hinder muscle growth. Yeah. So in the context Context of hypertrophy, muscle growth. If you're someone who doesn't really care about going to the gym, who doesn't care about getting big, bit of muscle on, you just do it for your own psychological you know, battle within yourself, whatever you want to call it, this isn't really an issue. But if you're someone who goes to the gym to build muscle, if you're getting into an ice bath every day, you are actually potentially holding yourself back. And we have got, yeah. as I said, compelling evidence on this now. We mentioned it in the last ice bath episode. Um, and this is because when we looked at it last time, everyone was attacking Mo Farah for it. They were saying how, oh, it hinders your muscle growth. You can't build muscle if you get an ice bath. And we were like, well, Mo Farah is not, you don't give a fuck. <laughs> My guy's <laughs> just run fucking, yeah, he's, he's, he's 20 fucking, yeah. He's, he looks like a fucking paper straw for one. He doesn't give a yeah. fuck about building muscle. He's trying to be as light as possible. Um, <laughs> he's fucking dying. He ain't worried about uh, yeah. muscle growth. But, he's just trying to recover. But those people were right in the fact that, yes, it does potentially hinder muscle. Yeah. The, the data suggests it will hinder muscle growth. So once again, crack on. If you want to get into an ice bath every day because you feel like yeah. it helps with your well-being etc go for it but if you are trying to get massive fucking pythons quadzilla all the buzzwords yeah. maybe you're slowing yourself down however if you don't care about building muscle and you are doing something very strenuous uh over a period of hours mm. you know or a period of days then maybe a nice bath you're more worried about recovering than actually growing muscle there's a lot of context here isn't there i feel like we need to there bring is. out a pdf we need like a pdf booklet for all what's the who think about this let's have a yeah, look. <laughs> who guidelines an ice bath i'd actually shit the bed if they actually do have something on it what would i say cold water exposure yeah that's normally it's normally called cold water immersion cwi have we got anything no nothing yet no nothing yet yeah nothing yet what does that tell you <laughs> i feel like they'd have to definitely put in a title in the context of yeah in the context of yeah um but yeah guys just going to quickly repeat myself. Crack on if you want to, but just don't go out because you can bowl these fucking ice baths. Like, people are selling loads, aren't they? These little tubs. It's like fucking yeah. hell. If you want to try it out, just fill up a wheelie bin. Do you know what? I mean, look, if you're ever going to try anything like this, and it goes down for supplements as well, mm. first of all, ask yourself, why am I doing it? What do I expect to happen? <clears throat> and is there actually a way that I can measure how much has happened or if something has even happened in the first place? That's a really good point, yeah. And you might get the placebo effect. Okay, cool. You still get something out of it if you're able to measure it and it's gone yeah. up or down yeah, great, yeah. what you want to do. I mean, you'll have really tiny arms, but yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you've measured that and something's happened, maybe it's not for you. <laughs> yeah, maybe it's not for you, yeah. Well, exactly right. But at the same time, if you have measured if you've measured it in the context of a cover and you feel great the next morning, there you go. It's worked for you. But you've got tiny legs. But you've got tiny legs. <laughs> it's, but- you know, it's the scales of justice here. The scales of justice, yeah. <laughs> It's now that time of the show where we mention the fabled members of the society, producers, Jenny and Colleen. How are you? Once again, I know it's not a two-way conversation, but I hope you are screaming at your playback device, whether that's your phone or your car stereo. 
I hope you have received your complimentary ice baths. <laughs> <laughs> complimentary ice baths. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck's sake. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, obviously, thank you to the rest of the member society as well. Hope you are enjoying the content we are putting out over there. It's very much appreciated. Of course, guys, we'll keep it short and sweet. It's a long episode as it is. If you want to join the society, get stuck into some behind the scenes content, extra video podcast content, and obviously help us support the pod, uh, help support the running costs of the podcast, check out the show notes for a link. And if you can remember it, it is patreon.com slash CSGF podcast. Very much appreciated. I had to read it back in my head then to make sure that was right. Absolutely. So guys, yeah, check out the show notes and get stuck in. Now, if we move on to the last piece of news, this is plant-based strength training. And once again, we have spoken about this topic quite a few times now, mm. um, but there are a few interesting points on this new study, which I think is really going to be open up the discussion further and I've got a fun little bonus study, which Tom is laughing because it's a cracker, isn't it? It's an absolute belter. It just shows you how far we've come in regards to getting nerdier and nerdier over Nerd, time. Yeah. Oh, a fun study. Fun bonus study. Yeah, I feel like I should play it. I know. Fucking hell. Let's give you some context to this conversation. You'll still hear people say a vegan diet is inferior, or a plant-based diet, as we talk about the concept of the study, is inferior in a gym setting. But then likewise... You're also going to get those people who are vegan or plant-based saying that it's superior, especially those who think Game Changers is the best documentary um, in the world. They'll be the sort of ones who tell you that it's superior. Um, Well, this new study is changed to a plant-based diet has no effect on strength performance in trained persons in the first eight weeks, a 16-week controlled pilot study. So we'll break down how this study works and we're going to look at some interesting points that I mentioned. Um, And luckily for us, Tom, the study provides a wonderful diagram. It's a wonderful diagram, which I'm going to talk through. Um, it's quite a small study, but as I said, it is interesting. So they had 15 young, healthy volunteers. Note, these were omnivores. So these were people who ate uh, normal, you know, what you consider a normal diet. So a mixture of, you know, fruit, veg, meat, dairy, etc., fish. Yeah. Um, and they were aged 18 to 35 with at least six months of tr- uh, strength training experience, right? So they were trained participants. So you could say newbie gains weren't, shouldn't really be in there. Um, and they were, you know, adults as well, okay? And another requirement for them was that both the leg press and bench press were a regular part of their training routine. Right, because that's what they used in the... That's what they used in the... the leg press. I know, right, that's what they used in the study. Another thing to note, just just for transparency, only 10 people finished the study, okay? Yeah, so that is, to be honest with you, that is like a major limitation. Yeah, huge limitation, yeah. Yeah, but... It still kind of supports what the evidence tends to show anyway. Yeah, this, this is supporting what we've already mentioned. But if you've heard us before, you know this, you'll, you'll, you'll know the conclusion to this. But this has just got a few extra things. So if I read through this little diagram, obviously you guys can't see it. but um, So they had three phases. Phase one was a familiar, familiarization of two weeks. Okay, So they had nutrition documentation. They had strength exercises, 1RM. So basically just guiding them through, letting them know what's going on, what to expect, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yep. And the, obviously the 1RM test was, as you can probably guess, leg press and bench press. They obviously took their weight on the scales, took the BMI, blah, blah, blah. We'll then go into phase two, which was uh, the omnivore diet. Okay, and this was a control. So this was eight weeks. In the middle of that four weeks, they did another test. So they took their leg press, bench press, body weight, body mass index. Um, and then on the final, so 72 hours before they went into phase three, so the second eight weeks, they had a guiding on the vegan diet. So a little, just a little recap, because obviously if you remember, phase one was quite a while ago at this point, so they might have forgot what the fuck had to even navigate a vegan diet because they are omnivores at the end of the day. So mm-hmm. they 72 hours before, they had a little refresh basically. And then at the start of phase three, they did all the tests again, which we won't go through. 
Then they began the vegan diet phase, which was another eight weeks. In the four weeks again, once again, as you can guess by now, while our own test, they did a bench in the leg again. And at the end of the, eight, the, end of the eight weeks, they did it again. They did leg, uh, leg press, bench press, body weight, body mass index. Okay, so lots of testing, lots of scales, lots of chaos. Lots of bench pressing, lots of leg yeah. pressing. Oh, yeah, I know, right? Big legs, big bench, unless they had ice bath. They're in ice bath, so they've been fucked. As soon as, <laughs> yeah, as soon as they said, you know, the ages of these participants are between 18 and 35, straight away I was like, it's going to be bench press and leg press. I knew, yeah. I knew straight away. You knew straight away, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know why. And when they said I'll win their first six months of training, I was like, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the traditional gym, bro. Bench press and leg press. And I'm sure he snuck in some sneaky bicep curls and tricep ropes somewhere. The key takeaway after all those three phases is that there was no difference in the absolute and relative strength performance for the leg and bench press after changing to a vegan diet. So after they changed, there was no difference. Basically, they didn't notice anything. So no significant you know, loss, but no significant no. gains either. Mm. But what was interesting, which is what you know, kind of drew my eye to this paper, is that there was a significant reduction in the protein intake during the vegan phase. Did that surprise you though? No, it didn't surprise me, but basically what I'm saying is that they were having less than the recommended protein intake for athletes. So mm. what that makes you think is as well, they didn't actually lose any, they didn't drop off as much. So it kind of shows that people, because people obviously normally say vegan protein is fucking shit, right? They normally yeah. say it's absolute dog shit, yeah. But even when they were a little bit below, in that eight weeks after, it didn't really fuck them up too much. In the context of strength. In the context of strength, of course, because as I men mentioned, the influence of that um, on the muscular adapt adaptation of body composition cannot be assessed at this stage because only eight weeks. Yeah. But basically, in the, in the context of strength, if you were to suddenly, I don't know, if you suddenly got sent into a vegan community for eight weeks <laughs> and you had no pro like limited protein, so less than you normally would need, according to this, you mm. probably wouldn't lose much in terms of strength. But then there's obviously other contexts like we've mentioned before with strength training. If you have three weeks off, potentially you probably won't lose anything in that three-week window. It normally starts to decrease after three weeks. Yeah. So there's also that that comes into play as well. But basically, I thought it was interesting because even when having less protein, it still didn't impact their performance yeah. in the strength context that much. I mean, um, it didn't surprise me no, that... Because um, they're omnivores. If they're omnivores, Tom, yeah. like, they're not used to it. Yeah, they're not used to vegan protein. Like, yeah. We've spoken about it before, isn't it? That it can be a bit of a, tra a transition. It can be a bit of a yeah. transition. When you're, yeah, of course it can. Yeah. When you're on an omnivore diet, it's, pretty, it's very easy to kind of... Well, I don't want to say easy... But if you're intentionally trying to get higher amounts of protein in, it's more convenient to be omnivore, I'd say. But if you're if you've always kind of been omnivore and suddenly out of nowhere within oh what was it sorry eight weeks yeah eight weeks yeah within an eight to sixteen whatever week period you know you're, you're you're suddenly going vegan it's it's a learning process. I wouldn't expect you kind of have to learn where to kind of get your protein sources from. Yeah, yeah. And even though they were told they were they were given advice, yeah. but when you have you know it's like habits if you build habit habitually got your yeah. meals laid out it's very hard to then suddenly and in regards to satiety as well yeah yeah Good you point, know yeah. Mm. increasing suddenly having a vegan diet where suddenly your fiber naturally tends to increase you're having more volume food mm. as well Good point. you know it can be hard to get extra protein i'm not saying it's impossible because it's not it's just yeah. that i think it well what was we saying earlier it can take time for the gut to adapt to it yeah yeah sure you know yeah. It's kind of like a learning process where like learning about new recipes, new ingredients, etc. Learning what you like as well is a big thing. If you've always lived your life as an omnivore, you know you could have this, 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 and this. But mm. suddenly you're vegan, you're kind of learning. Yeah. Or I don't know, I've never tried tofu. Let me try tofu. Yeah. Okay. Now that I'm trying tofu, what can I actually do with this tofu? Mm. Um, even though there was a drop 
in uh, the protein. Yeah, we didn't see a drop in strength. I'll be honest Cal- with you, that doesn't surprise me either. The calories and carbs are still high, though. Yeah. So mm. that's that's one of the reasons why, to be honest with you, I'm not expecting a massive drop-off because mm. you can still make gains clearly on a vegan diet as long as it's equated for and you're still getting energy necessary. Yeah. But in regards to the protein being low, it still didn't surprise me that there was not a drop-off in strength. Yeah, in strength, yeah. In hypertrophy, mm. I don't know, if they measured hypertrophy... It might be a different story, but with strength, since a lot of it is motor and skill-based, it doesn't surprise yeah. me that much. Just just on that one with muscle, obviously this link, this kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with a lot of other research we've looked at in that if you are worried about muscle, so let's move away from strength for a second, if you equate your protein, like if you have enough protein, there is no significant difference between omnivore and a vegan source of protein. Okay? Yeah. As long as you equate for them, so if you have the correct number for your circumstance, there, there was no, there's not been there's not an issue we've seen from the data. Yeah. Okay, so that's important. It's just the learning process of uh, seeing how you can get your protein intake up. So that's obviously interesting. Obviously yeah. a small study, but if that has whets your appetite, everybody, we've got a bonus study, and it's a fun bonus study, as I've already said. God, we need to get fucking so out, fun. Way. Oh, do you do kids parties as well? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Funerals, you know, go to funeral. Oh, we've got a fun study for the end of this funeral. Yeah. This bar <laughs> mitzvah, we're going to put out some note analysis. <laughs> bar mitzvah. <laughs> Right, anyway. Gather so, around. You don't get a clown, you get Bill. You get me, yeah. Mate, analysis. Get... <laughs> I'm fucking well excited. <laughs> I'm just going to rattle you know, off these key points. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, let's move on to this fun study. So the title is A Sensory Study on Consumer Valuation for Plant-Based Meat Alternatives. What is liked and disliked the most? Basically, what they did in this study was they got 175 participants. It's quite a lot. These were students, uh, bear in mind. And they split them into two groups, Okay. 85 were in a blind tasting group and 90 were in an informed tasting group. So what that basically means is 85 of them had no idea what they were consuming. 90 were actually told what they were having. So they were told if they were having a normal burger, they were told if they're having a plant-based burger, blah, blah, blah. So they they knew what they were having, right? Yeah. The burgers being tasted were either a 100% beef burger, a hybrid meat mushroom burger, which was 75% meat, a Beyond Meat burger, and then an Impossible Foods animal-like burger. But animal-like, it's basically, I think I've had it before, it's like, there's like, it looks like there's blood in there. It looks very meaty. Yeah, it looks very meaty. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a, yeah, it's quite weird. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll read out an extract for you and we'll go into it a bit more. So, results from the ranking tests for blind and informed treatments showed that the animal-like protein was the most preferred product. So the Impossible, the impossible Foods burger was the most preferred product across both groups, followed by the 100% beef burger. So that was second. Moreover, in the blind condition, there was no significant difference in preferences between the beef burger and the hybrid and pea protein burgers. But in the blind tasting, people preferred the pea protein over the hybrid one, contrary to the results of the informed testing. And they basically said this implies the existence of affecting factors other than pure hedonistic enjoyment. So basically they're saying is that your your expectation of what it is, like if you know what it is, it kind of obviously it's going to impact your enjoyment of the burger. If you're anti, I don't know, if you're anti-fake food, for example, if you hate the thought of, you know, plant-based meat, whatever, yeah. that might affect your enjoyment of it. Or if you don't like mushrooms or something, you know, you might, oh God, oh fucking know what's that? So that's what they were trying to say. There was a few comments made on this though. So I've read a few, it was quite, it was quite interesting. Um, some of them were like, well, the beef quality is very dependent. If the quality of the beef was poor, the burger's going to be poor. They need to have quality grass-fed seasoned beef. Oh. I was like, fucking, here we go. But the comeback to this was, is the beef burger they had were the ones the students normally had. 
So it wasn't yeah. anything unusual. This is the one they have in their normal canteens. This is the normal beef burger they get served every day. So it wasn't like a... They didn't just get like a plain patty. I just fucking... <laughs> this is the usual cheap hoof one. Yeah, yeah. But it's the way someone come out of that, like saying, if they had grass-fed, 100% premium Angus beef, it would have been a different stuff. It's like, fuck it, hell. Joe had to counter that. Okay, <laughs> do a separate do a separate study where, okay, you actually have all these different high-grade, high, high grass-fed beef burgers... And do like a blind tasting with like a cheap Tesco burger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you'll, yeah. I'll be honest with you, unless one is specifically seasoned with something, mm. then you're probably not going to tell a difference. You mentioned, you mentioned seasoning there, Tom. There was another point made, which is, you know, you could say it's a bit more fair, is that if you know plant-based burgers, they are usually higher in salt because they're pre-seasoned. Yeah. Obviously, they're made to taste a certain way because they're obviously made. So they're not, it's not like a, it's not like ground meat, is it? It's not like from a... You know, they've not just minced some cow meat up and put it into a patty. They've obviously made it, so it's pre-seasoned. So that obviously could have had an impact. We can't discount that as a flavour thing. Yeah. What The reason I brought this up is if you want to give plant-based a go and you're worried about missing meat, grab yourself an Impossible Burger because apparently, according to this study, this fun bonus study, <laughs> the Impossible Foods Burger was the most preferred option. I mean, for me, the biggest takeaway from this is... So do you remember we we looked at the paper in regards to the milkshake? In regards to the milkshake? Yes, yeah. <laughs> and we kept on creasing up over the little picture. Yeah, the Have little Have you seen the, peach, the picture attached to this one? <laughs> yeah. It's almost on par. There's like a it's little almost... person wearing a blindfold for some reason. Yeah. Um, should we yeah. Oh, blind? Oh, God. Um, and, and the patties look very succulent. I mean, just by looking, I know there's cartoon pictures, but I can't tell which one's Mate, the beef. What is and which it with these the fucking protein. studies recently in these pictures? Uh, what the fuck are these? Re- what are these researchers doing with these pictures recently? I know they're getting really exciting, aren't they? <laughs> but just by looking at the pictures, Bill, I can't see the difference. I can't see, mate. I can't see the difference either. I mean, I know it's because they all it's the same image, but I can't I like tell how the both difference. The, I like how they're both ginger as well. I'd say more strawberry blonde. Would you say more strawberry blonde? I'd say ginger there. Yeah, it's got the blue eyes of a ginger. Hmm. Mm, no soul there in that one yeah oh, actually, this is interesting to actually mention um, they, there was some like quotes as well they put quotes next to the burgers from some of the things that people said next to the 100% beef patty they put a thumb up was meat like you'd hope so meat like because it's a beef patty Down, a downside <coughs> was it was bland the hybrid meat mushroom patty apparently it was juicy but the colour in it was bland obviously it's a mushroom it's probably a bit the colour was probably a bit grey probably yeah. looks a bit weird didn't it yeah um, the uh, this is interesting the Beyond, the Beyond Burger uh, the plus side was the thickness, but the downside was the taste. But I, I think Beyond tastes really nice. So it's interesting. I have um, I've had plant-based uh, patties. Which one? Some have? of them have been really nice. Yeah. So bearing in mind, I'm saying plant-based, not vegan. But I've had the corn ones. Okay, yeah. yeah. Which I know is not strictly vegan, as we've discussed. Well, I don't before. know some of them. I know corn has got a big vegan range. Uh, and their their breakfast patties are really good as well. Actually, I've not seen those in ages. They seem to set up really fast for good reason. Also, hang on, sorry. Oh, just on the last burger, because I mentioned the three of them. On the last one, you know the one that was the most preferred? Yeah. They put the thumb up as appearance, so apparently it looks like, obviously you'd think it would look like one, it's an animal-like. But apparently the downside was the smell slash off taste, but it was Ooh. the most preferred. So I don't know what quote they've got there. That's odd, that, isn't it? Yeah, it's the most preferred. They must have all been shit. <laughs> I do find, like, um, in regards to, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking here, but I want to say pretend meat. Pretend meat. Uh, imitate, you, imitation meat. I think imitation meat. That's imitation what I'd meat say. Imitation more, yeah. meat. I, I do find that sometimes the colour can be off-putting where they've tried to make it replicate the look of a burger as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Or bacon. Like some of the bacon ones as well like have looked really terrible, like way too vibrant in colour. Yeah, sure. Um, now, that might seem like I'm nitpicking, but when it comes to food, like 
our senses play a big part in the sense of like how it smells. We have an expectation. We have an expectation of certain foods. Exactly. And just by that 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 visual appeal to food can play a big difference. So if something does look quite grey and mushy, and it'd be the same thing if it was actually full on meat, it'd be disgusting to me as well. I mean, I remember there was that. Um, oh, it, I think it was actually in the US where they changed Heinz ketchup to purple, green. It was green, wasn't it? Was it green? Yeah, green. green. Yeah, yeah. yeah. People other? people said it tasted. It was exactly the same, wasn't it? Exactly food the coloring. same. Just food coloring. Yeah. Just food coloring. And it completely put people off, and they say it tasted different as well. Mm. It's weird what colour can do. So, so sometimes I don't actually think it does a favour for imitation meat to try and actually imitate meat sometimes. Um, yeah, well, I think we'll wrap up there, mate. Um, that is all the news this week, guys. Jam-packed episode, loads of news packed in there. Um, all I've got to really say is share it with your friends, especially this, this episode's been an absolute banger, isn't it? An absolute whopper, if I do say so myself. Pardon the uh, burger pun there. Been an absolute whopper. But um, if you did enjoy it, yeah, share it with your friends. Make them share it and then everyone can share it and we can all share it. And maybe we can share a burger together. Maybe then we can share a burger. We can, <laughs> oh, you know what we can do, Tom? We can share a burger in an ice bath. In an ice bath. While drinking a Diet Coke. Headquarters. Drink, oh, yeah, oh, yeah outside that's, the who, that's threatening. Outside the Who headquarters of a Diet Coke a fake burger and in the context of a non-threatening manner <laughs> in the context of a non-threatening manner wow wow we've really put that episode together haven't we no i don't know how we pulled it off but we did we did it's been a pleasure as always and we will see you next week same time same place for some more the fitness news see you soon see you soon